Welcome to the Hunt Backcountry podcast. This is episode number 330, and we're speaking with Shane Wise from Wiser Precision. If you've listened to the podcast a fair amount, especially in the last couple of years, you've probably heard Steve and myself talk about the Quick Sticks, which are a product from Wiser Precision that we've used extensively in the last couple of years. And as I think back to all my rifle hunts, I have killed more animals shooting off of the quick sticks than in any other position. That includes my Idaho elk and several bucks in Kodiak and more. We speak with Shane today about Wiser Precision, get his story and background, and talk about some of the products, not only quick sticks, but other things that he's up to. To be honest with you, even though we have used the quick sticks a ton and talked about them a lot, I didn't know Shane that well. Uh, We didn't have a collaboration or anything like that in the beginning. I simply bought the quick sticks, loved them, and was really happy with them, and thus talked about them on the podcast. But it was good to get to know Shane in this conversation and to learn more about him and his business. It's always fun for me to hear the stories of small businesses in the industry, especially ones run by individuals that are just good, hardworking people. And I hope you enjoy this conversation and get to know Shane a bit more, as I did. Here we go. Well, Shane, welcome to the Hunts Back Country podcast. Excited to chat with you today, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. we. Uh, I was joking with you before we hit record that... Um, we've gotten questions from podcast listeners wondering if you sponsored the show, uh, Steve <laughs> and I have talked about like the quick stick so much, which isn't the case. Uh, yeah, no, definitely have- not sponsored. I, yeah. And like I said earlier, like, it's just so, so dang cool to have an idea, you know, for you know my own selfish reasons and then see other people so excited about it too. Like, it's just like, that's super awesome and super fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, so yeah, before we dive into products and hunting stories and stuff like that, just uh, give some background, some context for who you are for people who don't know. Yeah, so I'm Shane Wise, uh, owner of Wiser Precision, and uh, at Wiser we make uh, products. You know, kind of it's a, a mash of two passions of mine: long range shooting and backcountry hunting. So make products that uh, meet both of those needs, if you will. Yeah. What. Um... What came first for you? Were you a passionate hunter before you were a passionate shooter or they developed pretty much hand in hand? No, I was totally a passionate shooter first. Okay. Uh, Like growing up as a kid, I was always fascinated with uh, long range shooting and snipers like military snipers specifically. Uh Uh, So that's totally where that passion came from. Uh, I remember being like a little kid having my 22 and gosh, I put like thousands of rounds through that 22 shooting little tacks at 50 yards and you know, for me, for how little I was like, that was my, you know, the closest taste I could get to long range shooting. Um, and then as I got older, like into teens and, and early twenties and had a job and had money, then I started, you know, getting bigger rifles and actually stretching my, my long range legs a little bit, if you will. Um, and the hunting, so the hunting is actually kind of a fun story. I, Grew up waterfowl hunting, like through high school and in early twenties, but I never big game hunted at all. And I was actually, I was scrolling through Craigslist free section and a bear rug popped up and I showed my wife, I was like, Kayla, we could get a bear rug. Look at this. This would be so cool. (laughs) And she's like, no way. She's like, if you go kill a bear, then you can have a bear rug. I was like, huh? 
Maybe challenge I could accepted. Kill a bear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, gosh, I was like, I mean, I haven't been hunting that long. This was probably six years ago that I first started bear hunting, six or seven years ago. Uh, I remember it took me three seasons to finally get a bear. And I never really hunted terribly hard. Like I, I put in two weekends a year and, and that was my hunting uh, early on, at least every year I saw a bear. So it kind of kept the excitement going. And then that third season finally sealed the deal and like tasting success and the whole emotions that come with that was like, holy crap, this is, this is actually really fun. And I want to do more of this. That's cool, man. I don't know that I've ever heard of how I get into hunting story quite like that. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> it's a pretty unique one. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's super cool. How has, uh, this is like, we could probably talk for an hour about this, but how has becoming a hunter changed your perspective on shooting then? So, you know, th- there, it's probably more common for hunters to get more and more and more and more into shooting because of hunting, right? Like yep. now I want to learn more about rifles and reloading and stretch distance. And that's more of what Steve and I have come from, but flipping that when you were, had more interest in shooting, how do you look at shooting differently a bit now having in the field experience of hunting? Yeah, I think the, probably the, the most obvious or glaring um difference that i see like when you're shooting steel it doesn't really matter if you miss like you miss and then you just adjust from there and make a hit but with a hunting scenario you don't really you don't want to make a bad hit on an animal and you don't want to miss and potentially scare off an animal so it's kind of interesting like seeing you know you can shoot well beyond a thousand yards and if you hit 70 percent of the time like that's great but in a hunting scenario, you have to get hundred percent of the time. So it's been pretty interesting, like just making a switch from seeing how far I could shoot to how far I can shoot 100% of the time with absolute certainty. Um, and just kind of making that change for like high probability is that's, that's the most important piece. Um, or when you're shooting steel, it's, it's just kind of fun to test your limits. Um, if that makes sense and, and sort of stretch your legs that way, but in a hunting scenario, um, I, I don't like to do that at all. I, I like to take the shots that, that I know I can actually make happen. Out of curiosity, like what's that number for you right now for a hunting shot? Yeah. Yeah. So largely depends on the size of the animal and the conditions, obviously. Yeah. Um, I've set a limit for myself that inside of 800 yards is kind of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and the furthest I've ever shot at an animal was 730. So that was getting close to that. Um, but then shooting steel, you know, go out to and beyond 1500 yards. Cause like I said earlier, it doesn't really matter if you miss. Right. Right. Hmm. That's neat. Uh, what's your go-to cartridge caliber setup then for hunting in particular mm, for hunting. So I've been shooting a 28 Nosler, uh, the past couple of years, and I've really been enjoying that. Um, I've always loved seven millimeter cartridges. Um, mostly because the bullet selection has hit a really sweet spot of um, getting large enough diameter that you can get some mass to the bullet, but then not so large diameter that you have to um, you know, shrink the length of that bullet and sacrifice ballistic coefficient um, to still be in a reasonable weight to stay within pressure limits and to get the velocity that you need. So I've, yeah, that, that 28 Nosler has been a lot of fun and I've been a huge fan of that cartridge for for years i've uh 
the more I've shot sevens now a bit, I'm like, I, I could see having a seven for everything almost and not even necessarily one, but like you could load like a, you know, a seven odd eight down and kids could shoot it. Right. And oh, then you sure. can have something like a, a 28 nozzler. That's an absolute hammer and shoot really heavy seven mils. And there's just such variety, even if you only stayed within seven mil, seven millimeter. Yep. Absolutely. Pretty cool. Uh, tell us about your story of getting into elk hunting. I, I don't know the story, but you told me it was uh, quite the adventure. So I'd love to hear about that. Oh yeah. Well, this is like totally a listener story too. Cause like, not to say that I wouldn't be hunting elk right now, if it wasn't for this specific podcast, but this podcast years ago was, you know, kind of the catalyst that got me into elk hunting. Um, it was actually like, so after that first successful bear hunt, and sort of tasting hunting success and listening to this podcast. And you guys were talking about elk a whole bunch. It was like, man, me and my hunting partner, I was like, we should, we should plan an elk hunt. Like let's plan an elk hunt. So then we, we did got go hunt and like looked at the different States and, you know, way over analyzed everything. And we ended up landing on Idaho and gosh, we spent so much stinking time researching the area and finally landed on a spot. And it's like this, this shows how new, I was to hunting. We did a scouting trip, uh, in August and it was primarily just kind of like get the lay of the land, drive the roads and, you know, figure out where we might be able to camp and get water when we went in there and hunted. And I remember like walking these trails and getting off the trail and looking at stuff and seeing poop and me and my hunting partner looking at each other like, is that elk poop? I don't know. Is that just, is that big deer poop? Is that, is that cow poop? I don't know. <laughs> That's cool. So yeah, <clears throat> come a long ways since then, but we, uh, you know, that, that season, um, we went into Idaho and got some, uh, pretty crazy winter storms that changed our hunt plan a little bit. And this is actually a lesson learned from there that, you know, maybe somebody else will learn this lesson. So we went into the hunt with, gosh, maybe five different, um, areas, um, you know, several miles apart that we could go into and hunt. So the one thing that we didn't cross-reference in these various areas was elevation or elevation you needed to get to, to access these various locations. So we were way up higher in the mountains and with how much snow there had come down, we couldn't get to any of these spots. So kind of impromptu on the hunt, just pulled up our maps and, came up with a, you know, like a plan F or whatever it was, uh, just on the spot. And it worked out, ended up opening morning. I tagged a bull. And then it was so funny, like looking back on that hunt, like that pack out specifically, I remember thinking it was so stinking heavy and, and elk are like, even if you aren't taking a, a heavy load, it's still heavy, but that's probably the lightest elk pack I've ever had. But just looking back on the naiveness of us, like, holy crap, this is so intense. Yeah, dude. Yeah. The first time, I mean, the first time you put an elk on the ground and walk up to it, it's intimidating for sure. Yeah. They're big for that hunt. It was, it was obviously rifled. Did you want, or you're trying to do a backpack hunt for your first trip or is it? Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, awesome. we had intentions to go in, uh, to a wilderness area, <clears throat> excuse me. And we, we were planning on going in 10 miles and oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We just couldn't, we couldn't get there. So we ended up hunting much lower, um, sort of like a, a pseudo, you know, kind of a cross between road hunter and backcountry uh, mentality. 
uh, I like to say that we, we apply the back hunt, back country hunter mentality to road hunting. And we were, we were about three miles off the road. Um, I wouldn't call it back country at all, but you know, still three miles away from a road. And, and that did the, that did the trick. Um, yeah. Opening morning, I got my bowl and then we spent the next couple of days kind of half hunting, half packing out and then got him out. And then we went in, I think it was two days later, um, got my buddy, his bowl as well. And then went into town and got some drinks and celebrated, spent a night, uh, at a hotel, showered, cleaned up a little bit. And he had, uh, excuse me, he had actually drawn a quality deer tag. So then we went in to fill his quality deer tag. And again, we were planning to go back there several miles and we went up high where the butcher told us to go and we get out of the truck and there's kind of two directions that we could go. And we're looking at the maps, trying to figure out like, well, let's just walk down this way and, and just see what it looks like around the corner. And my buddy's like, well, let's take a gun just in case. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably a good idea. And we had gone 200 yards from the truck and I see this four by four hop across the road into the trees. I was like, Jesse, there's a deer right there. So he takes my gun and runs up and ends up popping a, a just a nice mature buck 200 yards from the truck. It's oh, <laughs> a hell of a first trip for you guys. Oh, it was yeah. awesome. It was so cool. Like, yeah, just that, that total, like having that much success as a newbie was, that was awesome. <laughs> was Jesse pretty new to hunting then as well? No, he grew up hunting. Um, so he, well, and he's newer to backcountry hunting. So his kind of hunting experience was um, setting up the wall tent with family. And, you know, his grandparents would be up, you know, in, the entire hunting season, basically here uh, in Washington, uh, set up on their com- uh, at their hunt grounds. And then cousins and uncles would kind of come and go as they had time. Um, so he remembers doing that quite a lot. But the backcountry mentality um, for him, that kind of came and very similar for me, came from backpacking first and then sort of taking the hunting and connecting those two. Mm, yeah. That's cool. I, man, there's so much I can pull out of there. Going back to what you said though, about having like these five spots going into the hunts. I just kind of want to make sure I understood what you were saying correctly. You were hinting at, Hey, not only have five spots, but make sure that there's variety or differences among those. Cause I think, as you said, you guys had five spots, but they're all, similar in this case in elevation. And so when that storm affected things, you didn't actually have a spot that was quote unquote different, meaning unlike the others. Is that what you were getting at there? Yep, exactly. I think that's a great way to say it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, I don't know that because you know, we talk all the time about having plan A, B, C, D, etc. And sometimes yes, in different areas, but I don't know that we've really highlighted having you know, uniqueness necessarily, like strategically on spots of like, Hey, if everything's at, and it, of course is gonna be very dependent on the areas you're looking at hunting, but if everything's at 8,000 feet or between seven and 8,000 feet or even higher, depending on where you're hunting, let's have a spot that's at five. Right. Um, for that reason, that's, that's a good, that's a good point to, uh, bring to listeners for sure. Yeah, definitely a, a lesson learned on our part. Yeah. So you said something in there about, um, backpacking and, uh, how that came prior. And one of the things I was curious about, especially hearing that you were more of a shooter before a hunter is in your products. There's a lot of focus on, uh, being light, uh, lightweight in the products. And then also essentially being dual purpose, like simplifying your systems, being lighter 
And it just stands out to me because I know so many shooters who are more shooters than hunters who don't think about weight much at all, or almost like purposely go heavy, right? So when you get into long range and competition shooting, guys want heavy rifles, for example. Um, and then sometimes that carries over as they go from shooter to hunter, where they're still using a heavy rifle or packing in heavy bags for support systems and things like that. So I was just curious for you, like where did that lightweight focus in your products come from? Yeah, 100%. I'm just a sissy. So I like to make it as easy on myself as possible. Um, and yeah, as you kind of made that connection with backpacking, like I put a lot of miles on, on trails and, uh, it doesn't take long to figure out that a light pack helps a ton. Um, and then kind of that dual purpose gear, like if, if, you know, a sit pad also functions as part of your pillow, like that makes your pack, uh, thinner and easier to carry and lighter. And, um, yeah, so yeah, very, very much like you made that connection. Uh, I had had that experience with backpacking and realized that I didn't want to be packing around, you know, 50 plus pounds of gear for a day hunt, which is easy to do. If, especially like you mentioned, if, if you're primarily a shooter, then you can take all these bags and big, heavy tripods and big bipods and, and all that stuff. And you're, you're getting your butt kicked, just getting into the hunting area. Yeah. So I did want to hear, cause as much as we've talked about like the quick sticks and then your newer Nighthawk panhead and stuff like that. I don't like really fully know the story of launching wiser precision and like what your background is and all that stuff. And I'm just personally always interested to hear that. Uh, and listeners are as well. We were chatting earlier and your first product was actually a, a shooting accessory, um, to, for the magneto speed, which is like a chronograph that typically mounts to the barrel, but has some downsides. Um, so maybe talk about what led to that product, but then at the same time, like there's a difference between having a good idea and then actually building something, starting a company, et cetera. So like what was in your background or maybe just the decisive, I'm going to do this type thing that actually led to taking an idea and going to product. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the, so that, that first product, the chronomount, like you mentioned, it's a, a support for the magneto speed chronograph. So traditionally they uh, fasten to your barrel, but then that changes your barrel harmonics and then affects point of impact. And that's obviously a downside. Um, so again, just, uh, a need in my own gear list. I wanted to shoot for groups while I was recording, uh, muzzle velocity. So I came up with this mechanism to support it off of the barrel. And it was around the same time I had been working with a nonprofit and it was a good friend of mine that had started it. And I really believed in it and was kind of looking for a way to help fund it as well. So I, you know, put this mount up in a shooting group, a Facebook group. And I was like, Hey, I built this. Is anybody interested? And there was a lot of interest right away. Um, so I sold, I think, you know, it might've been like 50 or so on the Facebook group. And I was like, you know what, there's obviously a much bigger market than just this one Facebook group. So I could probably um, sell these things and use some of the revenue to, to help this nonprofit. Um, and that was back in, in 2018. So that was, you know, sort of supporting my buddy, uh, in his venture was a large part of what actually got wiser going and, and the motivation that, that, you know, built wiser as a company. Um, yeah. So that's sort of, sort of the start of the company, I guess. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That is cool, man. Steve, when he said Facebook group, it reminded me of like 
the super early days of SNS archery and how much you used to do on like archery talk. And then oh, yeah. we were <clears throat> starting EXO, like just having the, like all that, like grassroots new company, like how do you spread the word? And honestly, how simple that is a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, the uh, SNS was 100% started just on archery talk in the forums. Yeah. That's uh, crazy what you can do. That's awesome. What was, uh, in terms of like going from idea to physical product for you, Shane, did you have any sort of engineering manufacturing like background that helped that process? Yeah. I, I played with a, a ton of Legos as a kid. And <laughs> I, I would say that's probably the, the single most uh, helpful. <laughs> I, I say that half joking. Um, I've always been one to tinker and build things and, and always had an interest in machining um, for my day job for, Gosh, it was almost 10 years. I was a control systems designer. So I worked with CAD a lot of times. Now this is like electronics. So nothing, not designing any physical parts there, but, you know, sort of have a a background in design with that. Um, But then, like I said, I've always been interested in in machining and manufacturing and, and specifically CNC machining has kind of been a passion of mine. So I've been using 3D CAD software for, gosh, like 12 years and um, sort of self-taught with that. And that's actually what ended up getting me my, my day job as uh, a control systems designer. Um, yeah. And then the, the prototyping is, you know, get a 3d printer and, you know, design something and spit out a part and see how it goes and eventually graduate that to a machined component and, um, just keep testing and isolating little, little features and, and problems that you have. That's cool. So we're, were the quick sticks the next product then that kind of came out? They were. So this is actually, so I started the company in 2018, just selling the Corona mount. And it was that season that I had, that I filled my first bear tag um, and got hooked on hunting. And it's so funny. Like I've thought back to it now. And if I was a more experienced hunter, I wonder if I would have ever come up with this idea, but I remember like seeing the bear, he was, like 1500 yards away. And then I ran up and closed the distance to, you know, 200 yards and we were on some pretty steep terrain. So I remember just like running up and down the hill, looking for a spot to shoot from. And with my hunting background, I had a, you know, a a heavy Atlas bipod, but it only gets you nine inches off the ground. So I just remember like having that bipod and my pack as a rear support and running around looking for a spot to shoot from. Now, if I was a more experienced hunter, I'd just pursue the animal with that intent. So I'm always looking where I can set up, but not having that experience, I just got to a spot where I could see him. I was like, okay, now I need to set up and shoot. Oh crap. I can't set up and shoot. What do I do? And ended up running around and finding a spot to shoot and got him. But I was thinking like from my backpacking history, I was already sold on trekking poles. I already knew that they made sense. And it's like, this is pretty much already a pair of shooting sticks and basically a bipod like somebody needs to have something to do this. And I looked around, and I couldn't find anything. So I was like, well, dang it, I'm just going to make it myself. So then designed something up and 3d printed it and tested it out and sent it out to a whole bunch of buddies and guys that had uh, bought the Corona mount and played around with that and got their input. And then it was, yeah, it was maybe eight months after, after like I came up with that idea after the hunt, then eventually had a finished product and started selling it the next summer. Hmm. So that was the summer of 2019. Yep. 
Oh, okay. So I actually found them pretty soon after they hit the market then. I didn't realize that. You did. And you bought, actually, I remember. So it was, I think we had gone back into town. So this was on our first elk hunt and we had gone back into town. I think it was, I think it was probably just after I got my bull and I was just looking through checking emails and looking at orders. And then I saw one from Mark Halsing. I was like, is that? is that the Mark from the Hunt Backcountry podcast? And like, oh, like showed my buddy, like, Jesse, look at this. Look who bought it. <laughs> <laughs> if, if only you knew how uncool that was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just remember because we were getting ready to go to Kodiak and I knew that there's, you know, potentially some steep shots and there was brush and, you know, you get into situations where a bipod's not enough. And I saw those, I was like, man, this could be perfect. Like this could be exactly what I'm looking for. Um, and yeah, it ended up being fantastic. Like on that hunt, I shot both my bucks off of it. And then Steve was like, dang, I'm going to go home and buy those. Those are cool. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah, they how were, it happened. <laughs> I mean, they were a hundred percent necessary up on Kodiak. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, um, the versatility of them too, in the sense that it's like most hunters already have trekking poles. So it's not like, again, you're not really packing anything into the field that you weren't already packing. So the quick sticks give you that security versatility to make your trekking poles into shooting sticks, but like from a weight penalty perspective, and honestly, not even just weight, but like the hassle of packing quote unquote something else it's like once they're on your trekking poles you never think about do i have my quick sticks with me they're just on your trekking poles all the time which is great yep what's some of the were there any like through those eight months like in the feedback you got from testing did the products change much from your original idea to what hit the market yeah i'd say from like the first prototype that i had it was very basic and like it only functioned as a pair of shooting sticks. And I think that it had like a hard stop in it. So it locked at some specific angle and then, you know, right away from various guys got feedback that they had different preferences. So it's like, okay, I should include, you know, some sort of angle adjustment lock on this. So incorporated that, that was pretty easy. And then pretty quick, like it was pretty much from the beginning uh, I knew that I didn't want just a pair of shooting sticks. I wanted a bipod that was actually connected to the gun as well. Um, so the first prototypes didn't include that interface ring that's on the quick, quick sticks. Now um, I was still trying to figure out the best way to do that. But from the beginning, I knew that I wanted to connect other things to this. And like I said, specifically with, with the bipod, like having the shooting background, um, I already understood how important it was to free up my offhand, uh, so I can manipulate a rear bag or even just, you know, grab and run with, um, yeah. So the, like I said, the first product or the first prototype didn't have that at all. Um, and then included, I would say those are probably the two most important features that, that changed in the prototyping process. Mm. Yeah. I want to come back to that real quick, the attachments, but you mentioned rear bag and it made me think of one thing I wanted to mention on the quick sticks that. I overlooked uh, initially was actually the option to use the quick sticks as your rear rest. And so the situations where maybe you do find a natural supports, maybe there's like a down tree or something like that. And that's supporting the front or the forehand of your rifle. But then, you know, when you start getting in those, like, especially kneeling type positions, you realize that supporting that rear end, it becomes really important. And sometimes that's easy to do with like an elbow to the leg, but sometimes it isn't. Um, And so 
I've realized over, you know, more practice, more use with the quick sticks. It's like there's situations where those become my rear support, not just my front support, which I overlooked for a long time. So I just want to throw that out there for guys who maybe have some experience or are looking at them. Cause again, that was like a blind spot I had. Yep. Absolutely. That, uh, the furthest, you know, animal that I've killed at 730 yards, that was actually with the quick sticks as a rear support and was kind of that scenario as you described, there was a down tree and I threw my pack on top of that and then sat crisscross behind that and set up the the quick sticks as a rear support. Mm, cool. So talk about, um, talk about the attachments and the, the ring system you built into it and what that does for you to, to build off of the versatility really of them, of the quick sticks. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the quick sticks, they're specifically just these little adapters that clamp on your trekking poles. Uh, and on those, one of the pieces, the female side has a ring that's cut all the way around, uh, the outside circumference of it. Um, so we make and sell another product. It's a quick clip and it has, um, a clip that interfaces with that ring and it has a, a QD Picatinny uh, mount on it as well. And then that clip, you know, in reference to that Picatinny mount will index to three different positions. So you can throw that Picatinny mount, the quick clip on your rifle and then connect the quick sticks into that with your trekking poles on them. And then you've got a bipod that's legitimately attached to your rifle. So that's kind of my favorite configuration to run in. Cause then I'll see an animal, I'll get up close. I'll, you know, lock my, my rifle and my trekking poles together and if I need to move, I just pick up my rifle and pick up my bag and I run. Um, and then when I get set up, then I have my offhand is free to actually grab my pack and throw it up underneath my shoulder and make adjustments as I need to. Um, and then taking it a little bit further, again, I'm just a big sissy. So trying to figure out how to save weight and, and make it easier on myself. Uh, it was also a pretty easy jump to say, hey, let's just bring another uh, leg into the system and make a tripod. Um, so then we also sell a third leg product, um, which is essentially a trekking pole without a handle. Uh, and you can connect that into the quick sticks with the quick clip and then throw a, a pan head or a ball head on top of that and then have um, a glassing tripod is, is what it's intended for. But we have had a couple of people successfully take animals off of it um, as a, a shooting tripod as well. Hmm. Yeah. And you said it's a uh basically a trigger pulls out a handle, but it does come already with that thread on there to be able to attach, you know, a ball head or a pan head or what have you. Yep. Correct. Yeah. That's cool. The one thing I've uh, run into a little bit on the quick clip is uh Picatinny, which I don't have on all rifles, but I honestly didn't see this until semi recently. You actually have an adapter then to go Picatinny to Arca, right? Yep. So that's kind of the, the shooting background is you know all the prs guys precision long range shooting guys uh they're using the arca swiss camera spec uh plate uh for their their uh shooting attachment rails it's just much easier to you know put accessories on there and adjust them up and down the the fore end of your rifle um and it's also a fatter a wider rail so for precision shooting that flat and that wide helps a lot with building a, a stable rest if you're just throwing your gun on a on a bag or on a barricade so that was pretty early on realized that, Hey, a lot of these guys are going to this spec and a lot of products already use Picatinny, uh, rails. So, you know, for myself, I needed it and had a lot of friends and customers that needed it as well. So that was, uh, another just specifically, uh, shooting product. Yeah. I just, it, it's nice that, you know, the products are like 
here's a problem, here's a need, here's a solution, you know, not like here's necessarily a great idea of this thing we could market, but like, it's just all driven from real, real need, real use, which is cool. Yep. Yeah. Like I said, it's just selfishly filling, filling gaps on my own gear list. Yeah. That's cool, man. How's it been, uh, growing as a business again? I don't, I didn't even know the whole story I was asking you before the podcast. I wasn't even sure if wiser precision was like your full-time job or what have you, but uh, sounds like 2018 to now, three and a half years later, what's this just been, what has it been like being a business owner and figuring all this out? Yeah, it's been, I would say a ton of fun and crazy and uh, insane. Like there's, it's, I, I like the challenge of it and it certainly is challenging in, in many regards. Um, and I think like most people, like as humans, we just enjoy learning. So I was feeling very um, stagnant in kind of my career and my day job where I wasn't learning at the pace that I had been learning. Um, so jumping into business, like I'd never run a business before, never been a part of running a business before. So, uh, that I, I think it kind of became an avenue where I could, uh, fill that need to learn. Um, and I would say like of what I've experienced the last three years, like that's just been, been it like a ton of learning, like drinking from a fire hose a lot of times, um, but just a, a ton of fun kind of seeing, seeing that growth and success, if you will. Yeah. It's, uh, interesting. I didn't really connect this, but thinking of like the parallel of you're still have been at the same time, almost growing as a hunter while you're growing a business, while you're growing products, that's a lot going on at once. And one of the things <laughs> we talked about before the show of you mentioned just how important is mindset uh, specifically as it relates to hunting and especially then backcountry hunting when things get tough, uncomfortable slash miserable. So what does that look like for you? How have you realized the importance of mindset in particular? I mean, we can talk about business or whatever, but in particular, as it relates to hunting for you. Yeah, I think like that's, I remember it was the, I guess it'd be the 2020 season. I remember this, we had like going into that season, the prior season was that amazing season where we filled those three tags. And so we went into the next season with kind of a high and we couldn't get there for opening day. Uh, my son was being dedicated at church. So we missed, I think it was like the first two days of the season. And then we showed up and of course you guys already know there's kind of, and Randy Newberg likes to say this, there's day one of the season and there's the rest of the season. So showing up there a couple of days later, the animals just weren't where we expected them to be and weren't doing what we thought that they were going to be doing. And remember, just our spirits were, were kind of low uh, at the beginning of that hunt. Like we'd you know, go into one spot and some guy was packing out a bull from there like, oh, shoot, okay, go to the next spot. Same deal had happened and, ah, oh, crap, okay, what are we going to do? Uh, and it's it's easy to to... I guess, see those hard and challenging things and let your spirits get low, but then you start hunting or doing business or whatever it is, living life uneffectively. Um, so it was on that, that hunt, um, made a mental switch to say, you know what, this is actually a fun thing. This is a special thing. Like not many people get to do this. So let's actually just enjoy being able to do this, have the privilege to do this. And I think it was like probably day, day five of our hunt. Uh, maybe it was six. I remember we, we had a lot of like really uh, slow days. And then my buddy finally connected on a bull and actually like a 
for a public land bull, it was a really nice, I think he was like 286 inch six by six. Um, so, you know, by no means a monster, but just a nice mature bull. So that of course helped the spirits a little bit. And he shot it last light and we spent, I remember he died in, in a miserable spot and it took us an hour just to move him to a position where we could start cutting him. And we ended up getting him all cut up and up to a ridge that was about 500 feet above us. Uh, I think it was three in the morning. And then we loaded up our packs. I think we, we took a rear and a front each on that trip and then climbed another like 1500 feet, <clears throat> excuse me, to get to the truck. And that was slow going. Like we didn't get to the truck until seven in the morning. Jeez. And so just having like an all day and then an all night, like physically you're just beat. Um, so we slept, I think for like three hours and then we dove back in there and then got the rest of that bull packed up to the truck. And then we went to the butcher that night and then uh, there wasn't any hotel rooms. So then we went back into the woods and then slept and slept in until I think eight that morning. And then we went in to hunt again. And I just remember being like, just so whooped and so tired. Like it had already been a long hunt and then a pretty, a, a pretty physical pack out and didn't get a whole lot of sleep. And then we go in and I end up shooting a bull that morning, which is awesome. Uh, and then we got him, uh, you know, processed quartered and we start packing him out and I had taken several falls and, and my knees were just like killing me. And I actually have a photo of one of my knees. It's looks pretty insane. Like it's swollen probably easily twice as big as the other one. And I remember just being in so much pain on that pack out and specifically thinking like, no, this is, this is actually really special. Like this pain is cool. Not many people get to experience, you know, sort of this air quotes misery that I'm going through right now, because it is something special to be able to chase these animals and then have success chasing these animals and then having the opportunity to pack them out. Like on, on that trip, there was just so many uh, scenarios where I had to make that mental switch that, no, this is actually cool. This is special. This is something meaningful. And even though there's hard and challenging parts of it, it is all special. Yeah. It is so important because it is such a choice. Like yes. you're deciding in that moment, how you look at the situation and what you're focusing on. So you could focus on the pain and the problem, or you could focus on, you know, as you said, basically the uniqueness, the specialness of that opportunity. So I was like, is this a problem or is this an opportunity? Right. Um, yep. And it's both. But what you focus on and what you choose to like invest your attention to is going to change your experience a hundred percent. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just always like, yeah, it's just so important to remember that that's a choice like in the moment because we, by default, right? Like if we don't proactively choose, we're probably going to lean negative. We're probably going to lean to focus on the discomfort, the problem, the crappy conditions, the whatever. So it's like, the choice is important because it's, it's not the default, like without the intention, you don't make the choice to be positive a lot of times. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of like you mentioned earlier, you made the connection of whether it's business or hunting or whatever it is like this applies to everything. Uh, and I think hunting specifically, um, kind of highlighted that for me. Mm. So you're like learning, 
call life lessons in hunting that are then applying to then getting wise precision going, being a business owner, et cetera. Like it all interconnects. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. That's cool, man. Jumping back to product, what then led to, uh, what led to the Nighthawk, the panhead? Steve, I know you've gotten to use it um, and there's been even changes to it. Um, and then it was uh, a work in progress for a while. I think fully kind of live and up and running now, right? Yep. Yeah, that was, <clears throat> so again, another like gap in my own gear list. Um, I had been using a ball head for, for a, a tripod head. And it was just, you know, kind of motivated by weight. Like that was the lightest thing that I could find that worked well enough. Um, and I'm sure you guys have used ball heads and probably a lot of customers or a lot of listeners have as well. Um, and when you're trying to grid out uh, a hillside, it's difficult to stay perfectly on kind of like an X, Y grid and you end up doing these weird little skews and you might miss things or then you end up doubling up when you're looking at areas and it's just not as efficient. So I knew that I wanted a ball head or sorry, a pan head. Um, and there just wasn't anything out there that, that kind of met my needs. So building the Nighthawk was a, a pretty easy next product as well. It's like, okay, well, this is a gear in my own, or a hole in my own gear list. So I can pursue this and we kind of need a, a head to go on top of the uh, whole quick stick system tripod setup. So that was a, a pretty easy kind of next product idea. Uh, and that I had started design on that um, over a year ago now. And that ended up being so much more challenging of a product than I thought it would be going into it. Like getting something that, that tiny and that light that was also um, as smooth as I wanted it to be took like so much more time than, than I thought it would. Um, and it, it was pretty much like, I mean, I had a full-time job uh, while I was developing that, that product. Um, but I also, I guess, had a kid as well. And then at washing, we get uh, a paid family leave. So I was basically using a good chunk of that paid family leave to free up my time to work on the panhead some more. So, I mean, that thing has like hundreds and hundreds of hours of R and D just trying to get it to where it was. So that was, um, yeah, that, that occupied a huge, a huge chunk of my spring and my summer. Um, but it's now fully launched and got it in the hands of several folks, um, uh, who hunted with it this past season and are hunting with it this winter. Um, yeah, that was just a, a fun, fun, kind of cool next product, next project. I was worried early on when you were saying like it was easy. And I think you were saying the idea was like an easy addition, but I'm thinking, God, that can't <laughs> yeah, be the execution easy. was not easy. That was, oh man, it was, it kicked my butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I was pretty excited when I first saw that you were doing it, man. Cause it's such a, it's a product that I wanted to see exist for a long time. Um, and you, yeah, you guys knocked it out of the park. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, more and more guys like shooting off a tripod, shooting off tripod heads. Do you still feel like in your system, at least for maybe your personal use of you have the Nighthawk as a pan head for optics, but you're still gonna basically not shoot off of that per se, meaning lock your rifle to uh, the Nighthawk, but then connect the rifle either to that quick clip or rest it within the quick sticks. Does that make sense? That question? Um, so you're asking like personally what my preference is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My personal preference, like I think tripods 
have their place. And I think a lot of people like shooting off tripods because it, it makes it sort of easy. Like it's okay, here's a tripod and I just throw my gun on it and that's it. That's all I have to worry about. Uh, for me personally, my, you know, favorite and most reliable shooting support is the, you know, a tall bipod be that the, the quick sticks or whatever else, but a tall bipod up front and then the shooting bag or my backpack, if I'm hunting as a rear bag, um, and kind of the, the differences in, in building a stable rest between that setup and a tripod is with a tripod, you're only connected at one point. So generally it's going to be close to, uh, the center of mass of your rifle. And then that's suspended a couple of feet off the ground and you've got deflection in your legs. And especially if you're looking at an ultra light, uh, back country hunting type tripod, it's going to be thinner legs and you're going to get deflection there. That'll, um, you know, effectively change your elevation and windage on where your hold is. But if you can support the front of the gun and the rear of the gun, then you've got these two points of contact. Um, and it just makes for, you know, one, a more stable rest, but then I find it's much easier to set up and deploy as well. So with a tripod, you've got these three legs that, that you have to find a spot to set them where they're balanced, or you have to take the time to adjust those legs to get it balanced and, and center that head in between those three legs. Uh, but if you're just using a tall bipod up front and your bag in the back, it's really easy just to throw the bipod down adjust the cant as you need it and then just move your rear bag um, to match up your elevation or your windage. Uh, so for me personally, that's still my my default and my preferred shooting method is anytime I can build more points of contact, that's that's going to be better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's um I, you know, I've seen guys shoot off a tripod and have done work with it over the last probably probably about two, three years, I envisioned it being easier than it actually is. <laughs> um, there's more to it, like the shooting off of a tripod. Well, uh, there's mm -hmm. more to it than you would think. And as you said, sometimes it's difficult even having like placing three legs and especially in a hunting scenario uh, with terrain that isn't always easy to work with. And then also realizing that where and how you place those legs can have a dramatic impact on your ability to manage recoil and then get back on an animal for a potential follow-up shot mm -hmm. uh, because the way that you have the legs oriented and how that pairs with your the travel of your rifle and recoil makes a massive difference yep. um, and so you really need to be pretty particular with how you orient those legs and set it up which again you pair that with here's what i need but here's the reality of field conditions and how i'm able to set up this tripod uh, sometimes it's difficult man Yep. Absolutely. What do, what are some, as we talk about like building, shooting support positions, et cetera, um, what are just some things that come to mind on, oh, what hunters maybe who don't have much of a shooting background or experience, maybe overlook, do wrong, et cetera. Like what are some like practical tips or things that come to mind? Yeah, I think, Probably the easiest one is the a lot, like if you don't have a shooting background, um, like you're, you're probably just far more inclined to take an offhand shot. Uh, and for me, like whether I find a tree or a stump or, you know, the, the quick sticks or whatever, like I am always build some sort of rest. So I think if you don't have that, that shooting background, 
Um, I, I think that a lot of guys kind of miss the importance of a rest uh, and how valuable that can be in not only, you know, executing the shot and hitting your target, but also, as you alluded to with the tripod, being in a stable enough position that you can actually watch your impact or watch your splash. Um, I, I think that's probably the easiest thing to overlook if you don't have that shooting background and you're just the hunting background is your thought is just get the gun up and take a shot. Um, where if you have more of the shooting background, your thought is, okay, how do I, how do I make a stable shot? Mm. Yeah, that's good, man. It's, um, it's one of those things I didn't realize again, early on until you just, you got to put some time in and practice. And I'm, I'm still feel like such a novice and I'm learning all the time, but just realizing how important the stability is and then getting, creative with how you can build that up is just such a game changer for sure. And I'm still like learning like, Oh, I could do this. I could do that. Um, I, I still feel like I'm figuring it all out, which is fun. Like that whole journey of learning. Yep. Yeah. I would say if there's, you know, anybody that's, that's interested in kind of like uh, furthering their own shooting skills and, and being more effective in the field, like I'd say sign up for a PRS match and go shoot and who cares how well you do but pay attention at the match while you're shooting, see how other guys are setting up and how they're building their body position and building their rests for these various um, shooting positions and barricades that they're shooting from. And, and then you'll have a kind of a catalog of things that other people that are doing that's working for them. And then you take that home and, and practice with that. Um, but it, it's kind of like with everything. If, if you get into a hunting scenario and you've got an animal in front of you, um, and you don't have this muscle memory or that prior experience to pull from, um, you're going to have a hard time, you know, building an effective rest. I practiced that so much last year going into my sheep hunt, just shooting and, and terrain. And that was ex just extremely helpful. They said, even just having the prior knowledge of like, okay, I'm on this slope. Here's the shot angle. I need to adjust the quick sticks to be this high you know, um, just to give you a ballpark to start from, it was, uh, probably one of the most valuable things I did last year. Yep, absolutely. And <clears throat> so what I do for my personal practice, uh, I don't send a lot or anywhere near as many live rounds as they do dry fire rounds. So, and this is something I would totally encourage people to, to do as well. If, if they're serious about practices, do a lot of dry fire practice. So actually in my shop, I have kind of an office in here and I have, small paper targets that are set up scale on the back wall and they're set up with a scenery. So it's like a mountain scenery. And then I've got targets spread across these, these various backgrounds. And I have a close focus adapter that I put on the front of my, my rifle scope. Uh, and it focuses to like 10 feet. So then 10 feet away from the wall, 10 feet away from those targets, I have a barricade that swings out from underneath a bench and I can set up a barricade and then uh, essentially shoot fake matches uh, inside of my office uh, just dry fire practice. And, and that, that builds all of those, you know, all that muscle memory that you need to actually build a stable rest. And then it's pretty cool to be able to break the trigger and actually see what your crosshairs are doing instead of just, you know, a, a giant kick from the recoil. Uh, I would say that that dry fire practice is uh, huge. And, and a lot of guys should be looking at that pretty seriously. Hmm. Talk about that close focus adapter. Cause I've, seen those and at one point started to like look at them like oh i should get that i should try that and that's been something i've neglected for months and i forget what product i was looking at and all that stuff so fill me in personally oh yes so i use uh it's the dfat 
Um, it's an acronym. I can't remember exactly what it stands for, yeah, but it sounds a, like the one I was looking at. Yeah, it's probably that it's, um, uh, Troy Tyson of DST precision, uh, makes and sells those. And okay. yeah, it's, it has been awesome. Like it's such a great tool. Cause if you don't have time to go to the range or for me to drive up into the mountains to go shoot, um, or even if you just like, if the mountains are snowed in and I can't get up to where I normally shoot, I can always dry fire practice in my office. Um, and if it's convenient and it's easy to do, most people are going to be more inclined to do it. Um, so then you're actually getting practice in. So yeah, it's, it's been huge and helpful for me. And, um, yeah, uh, like I said, uh, if, if people are serious about, about their practice and getting better and, and, uh, developing these shooting positions, the dry fire training is, is a, a great tool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I just didn't look it up. It's DST precision uh dstprecision.net and then yeah the product is called dfat perfect cool man what's um what are you excited about what are whether it's a new product business stuff flat out just hunting like what are you looking forward to in 2022 yeah 2022 business is pretty exciting um kind of to this point it's it's just sort of been trying to keep up and i feel like i've almost caught up with the business now and I'm not running around with my head cut off all the time uh, or my hair on fire. So like with the business, I'm just excited to, you know, build systems and, and grow. And actually like it's, it's kind of gotten to this point where it actually feels like a business instead of just this thing that I do on the side. Um, so I'm having a ton with ton of fun with that and excited to keep going with that. Uh, and then also, so for the 2022 season um, my uncle got a tag in Idaho for this area that I've hunted the past couple of years and he's never killed a bull. Um, he's killed a few cows. Uh, and he actually, he killed a cow this year and it died in a river. So that was a pretty fun pack out. Oh my gosh. Um, but anyways, he's got this tag for Idaho. So I'm excited to go with him and help him, you know, hopefully. And, and I feel very confident, help him fill his first bull tag. Yeah. Um, so I think that'll be, that'll be just be a ton of fun. And I'm really excited for that. Cool, man. Well, before we let you go, just, uh, you know, we've thrown a lot out there and some of it's been things that maybe some listeners are familiar with and some of it's going to be all new to them. So like, what's the best place to go check out Wiser Precision and everything you're up to? Yeah. So we have obviously the website, uh, wiserprecision.com. Uh, if you have any questions, we're on Facebook and Instagram. And personally, like I keep a little closer tabs on Instagram. So if you wanted to send me a message, uh, you have a much higher probability of me answering in a timely manner there. Uh, or you can shoot an email to support at wiserprecision.com as well. Cool. Shane, appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Well, that's a wrap guys. I hope you enjoyed that episode. You can learn more about Shane and Wiser Precision by just going to wiserprecision.com. And we'll also leave a link in the show description. If you're a rifle hunter specifically, I can't think of a better way to spend $36 than on a set of quick sticks. And I truly mean that. So if you haven't yet, go check those out and also see everything else that Shane has to offer. As always, guys, we appreciate you tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com and we'll talk to you soon.